And our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to St. Luke. It's recorded in the first chapter and begins at the 26th verse. There we find these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you all in peace from God our Father and our Lord and soon-to-be-born Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's a question for you this morning. Not a test, but just a question to mull over. Whatever happened to miracles? Where are they? Some people say that the scientific era has crucified miracles. I I disagree. I don't think the era in which we learn has done anything to miracles. The real perpetrator in this attempted murder is our language. It's the things we say. It's the things we recognize. You see, sisters and brothers, we have lost our ability to recognize or describe the miraculous with our language. For example, when when a girl and a boy meet, And then they fall in love, and and they marry, and they live happily ever after. We call that sequence of events fate. Or, for example, when two people are reunited after years of bickering and quarreling and strife between them, we say, time heals all wounds. The truth is, in either of these instances, we should be saying, these were miracles. When someone is sick, and and it takes time, but they eventually recover, and these things didn't happen in the blink of an eye, it just took a little time, we see it as a natural consequence of perhaps a surgery or, or some medication that was taken in that period of time. We will use anything in our language, anything in our language but the word miracle. We'll call it fate or luck or natural consequences, whatever the case may be. I've read that there's one Native American culture that has a word for miracle. 
It happens to be the same word that that particular culture uses for rain. Whenever it rains, they describe it as a miracle. You can relate here in Albuquerque, right? Whenever flowers bloom, they describe that as the result of a miracle. But we're sophisticated. And so we know better, don't we? We know much better. We know that when warm air meets colder air in a, in a mass above us, that causes rain. And we know when spring comes, that's when flowers bloom. That's the cycle. You see, it's not that miracles don't happen. It's that we no longer acknowledge them or explain them as the miracles they truly are. Consider this. This is an old story, a story about a fictitious king, but it, it offers an illustration about our misconception with respect to how natural processes pass and, and how God's work is present in those natural processes in a miraculous way. The story goes like this. The king was seated in his luxurious garden, just admiring the, the absolute beauty of it all. And then one of his counselors came to him and, and began speaking to him about the, the marvelous and wonderful works of God. The king was skeptical. And so he said, show me a sign. If you show me a sign about this God, I will believe. So the counselor figured out after a few moments just exactly what he was going to say. And he offered the king four acorns he had found on the ground, put them in the king's hand, and he instructed the, the king... If you will, majesty, just bend over and plant these four acorns in the ground and then look into this pool of water that's near your feet. The king humored the man and, and did so. And after just a, a brief period, it seemed, the counselor said, now, dear king, look up. And when the king looked above him, he saw four tremendous oak trees now, each one had sprouted just from the place where he had planted those acorns. He said, this is wonderful. This is indeed the work of God. The counselor asked him another question. He said, how long, dear king, do you think you were really looking into that pool of water? The king said, oh, it was just a second or so. The counselor informed him, it has been 80 years since I placed those acorns in your hand. The king wanted verification. He looked at his garments and he saw that they had become old and tattered. And he looked at his reflection in that pool of water and he saw that he was a quite old man at that point. And the king became angry and he said, there's been no miracle here. No, said the counselor. It is God's work that has happened here. And it is God's work in a miracle, whether it took one second or 80 years. You see, miracles, I believe, are not just God's rescue for the unprepared. Miracles are God's gift to people who expect them. Miracles happen without faith about as often as azaleas happen without the spring. Miracles come to those who are willing to accept them. And they come to those who, are, who live in a way that expects them. But miracles, we must admit, don't always happen the way and at the time that we would want them to. Miracles show up in strange ways and sometimes in strange places. 
The Bible gives us many stories of these things. Leading up to what we now call the first century, the people had, of God, the people of God had just been praying fervently for a Messiah. They'd been praying for someone to come and deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. They thought that their miracle would take the form of a, a mighty warrior on a great war horse with a big sword. Or it might even be a politician who would come and, and vanquish the Russians with rhetoric. But what God sent was a baby. God's miracles are not always what we envision, and they're sometimes not even what we want. But God's miracles are never less than what we need. Bless you. Miracles only happen for those people who have the eyes to see them. And the rest of us live in a very dark world. When I was growing up, there was a TV show that was on that many of you maybe even watch today. It's been on a very long time in reruns. It was the world of Archie Bunker in a show called All in the Family. Many of you will recognize that. Archie lived in a world where he saw the facts and he saw nothing else, and he saw only his own facts as well. The other characters in the show were Archie's little girl, he called her, even though she was a grown woman, and the man to whom that little girl was married, he called Meathead. But the other principal character in that show, the one who really gave us the, the wisdom, was his wife, Edith, who somehow got the name of Dingbat from her husband. In one episode, I remember Edith and Archie are attending Edith's high school reunion, and Edith meets an old classmate of hers. This man's name was Buck. In the years since they had been in high school together, Buck had, as many of us do, put on a few pounds. In fact, I guess the medical profession would say he was obese. But we're shown Edith and Buck having a touching visit, and, and they're remembering their old times together and the many things they shared and did together. But during that conversation, Edith never notices how Buck has changed, how large he has become. Later in the show, when Edith and Archie are alone, Edith says in her whiny voice that I can't imitate well, Archie, ain't Buck a beautiful person? Archie looks at her with his typical disgust, and he says, You're a pip, Edith. You know what? You and I look at the same guy. You see a beautiful person, and I see a blimp. Edith gets that puzzled look on her face that we remember so well, and then she says something quite profound. She said, Yeah, Archie, ain't it too bad. We see what we want to see. And in doing so, we disregard the miracles of God as if they're some sort of natural occurrences. So I implore you this morning, pay some attention. Pay some attention because miracles require both our faith and our participation. First, let's talk about faith for just a little bit. Mary first conceived Jesus in her heart before she conceived him in her womb and gave birth to him. And so when we see the example of Mary, we come to understand that there's much more to a miracle than what we see. It's, it's sort of like icebergs. There's a lot more that we don't see than what we do see. 
earlier, much earlier in the Bible, we see the miracle of, of the Hebrew people being freed from their enslavement in Egypt. But all of that began much, much earlier with the burning of a bush in the Midian desert. It was at that bush that Moses believed God had called him to go back to Egypt, a dangerous place for him. But he believed, and he went to work. In modern culture, if I think most of us would call it modern. Some of us weren't born yet. But there was the miracle of the Mets in 1969 when they won the baseball championship. They would not have won had they not had faith in what they were doing. And then there was the miracle on ice in 1980 at the Olympics where a very young and inexperienced American hockey team won the gold medal against all odds. But that began with training camp, just like it did in the baseball example, a long time before they were shown on television. The birth of Jesus is a miracle too. It's a miracle because the faith that Mary held in her heart and Joseph too. Miracles also require our participation. Moses not only believed God, but he took his staff and he went to Egypt. Moses had to do something. He had to free the people manually. He couldn't stand back and do it by remote control. And that tells us another truth. Miracles require a little bit of sweat on our part, a little bit of effort. The man who was blind from birth that Jesus heals receives his miracle not through the mail, Jesus didn't send it in through electronic means. Instead, this man receives his miracle by going to the pool where Jesus direct him, directed him and washing that pile of mud off of his face as Jesus instructed him to do. He put a little bit of effort into it and demonstrated his belief. And yeah, I, I will acknowledge there are other times in the Bible where there is no real identifiable participation except some outlandish faith. Examples like the women, woman with the issue of blood who was cured and, and the man who was healed of his leprosy by the side of the road with a word from Jesus. But those times, even in the Bible, are quite rare. And they usually involve people who could do nothing for themselves. But that brings us to the miracle of the birth of Jesus. It clearly required her cooperation and her participation. It's clear in that gospel lesson I shared with you this morning that God was willing to come and share this gift with her. But the question that's open as Mary and Gabriel speak to one another is, will Mary accept the invitation or not? And then at the end of that reading, we get the answer. Mary's response tells us everything that we need to know. She says, let it be with me according to your word, Lord. She is the servant of the Lord. And so, on Thursday, once again, we will commemorate the miracle of Christmas. Miracles are rare, I suppose. That's why we call them miracles. Yet are they rare because, like the spotted owl, they are endangered and hard to find? Or are they rare because finding people who have faith and who are willing to participate in the miracle are so hard to find? If receiving a miracle is dependent on us having the spirit of Mary, then we have our answer. 
we find the source of the problem. She says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. How many of us, how many of us could stand and confess to having that kind of submissive attitude to put our lives in God's hands? When we keep things in our own hands, the outcome is predictable. We've all lived that. But when we put things in God's hands, who knows what can happen? Maybe it will be a miracle. Yet it's more than just putting things in God's hands. It's putting ourselves in his hands. That's what Mary's conveying to us when she says, let it be with me according to your, will, your word. Those are words that serve as a prelude for miracles. Let it be with me according to your word, Lord. This morning I ask you, do you come to God in need of a miracle? Ask yourself some questions like these because you may not want a miracle after all, but you may need one. First, do we have faith in God? Are we willing to participate in the miraculous, even if it means that we might be ridiculed or isolated or rejected by folks out there? We suppose even Mary was shunned and marginalized by others in her hometown. After all, her culture wasn't very tolerant of a pregnant female who was unmarried. I ask you this this morning. Is your marriage in need of a miracle? Have you grown tired of, of fighting or loneliness or abuse or neglect or mistrust or anger? If so, then let God have control of this. But be ready. Miracles happen, but they don't always happen overnight. There might be some pain as your marriage heals. Do you think you will never get over that tragedy that haunts you from your past? That, that tragedy that walks with you like a shadow, ruining your sleep or robbing you of tomorrow's laughter and today's joy? If so, then say to the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Look for your miracle. It will come. Do you worry about your health? Don't we all in the age of COVID? But perhaps there's something else that pains you as well. Is your body racked with pain? Your miracle is letting the Lord have his way so that you may stop your worry. God knows what God is doing. Rest in his arms and call upon his name. Wait on your miracle. Have faith. Be willing to participate. And in this season, have hope. Maybe you're plagued by sin. You're desperate to get away from sin's power over you. As, as the Apostle Paul told us, maybe... You know what's right, but you do what is wrong. If so, turn to the Lord. Participate, have faith. Again, your miracle will come. I, I leave you one last story this morning, a, a, a morning of stories. But there once was an alcoholic man who had gone into recovery and in the process had become a believer in Jesus Christ. He once was asked how he could possibly believe that all that nonsense in the Bible about miracles. 
The question specifically he was asked was something like, you don't believe that Jesus changed water into wine, do you? Well, the man answered, I sure do. Because in my house, in my house, he changed whiskey into furniture. Brothers and sisters, the ancient Hebrews weren't freed from their oppression in Egypt in a week. And you won't be freed from whatever haunts you in a week either. But in time, in what we perceive as time, and God perceives perhaps as the blink of an eye, your miracle will come. It will come surely if you will say, along with Mary, in your heart, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Amen.